one Sunday morning at Westminster Chapel, and lo and behold, on the fourth row from the back, a woman comes in and sits there, and I thought, what is she doing here? That woman has done incalculable emotional damage to one of our children, and I lost it. The Holy Spirit entered into a conversation with me. Which would you rather have, revival, or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? episode we have R.T. Kendall. We are both reading a book that he wrote called Total Forgiveness. We were recommended this book by a guy at a um, pastor's conference that we were at and R.T. spoke on total forgiveness to the group and they just all talked about how impactful it was and how hard total forgiveness actually is. And it's a topic that never gets old. Uh, I needed to hear this. I'm still needing to hear it every day. I feel like it gets old in that the conviction you know, it's almost easier to not think about it and right. just go on with our life because what he's saying is a daily, daily practice to forgive. So as we were reading this book, I started making a list of the people in my life whom I have hard feelings toward because he challenges you to do that. Like sit down and write down the names of people you have hard feelings toward. And I was surprised that the list was growing and growing. <laughs> I thought, man, I consider myself a pretty kind and nice person, but I've got a lot more bitterness in my heart than I realized. I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet. And so when he told me the amount of people on there, I was like, whoa, wow, sinner. Gosh. Um, But I haven't gotten there, so I'm sure my list will grow. But you think about it. From the time you were a kid, whether it's your family of origin or people you went to school with or people you've served on staff with at different places, if you think of the number of people who have hurt you that it never got fully resolved, that list gets fairly long. And what RT says on this show today is so relevant for pastors and ministry leaders and anyone serving in the church is that we cannot love well if we're keeping records of wrongs. Yeah, and our challenge to you, the listener, is to let us know what um, – maybe maybe email us and just tell us stories of forgiveness that you've worked through, um, ways that you've been encouraged by this episode, or maybe you've heard of RT Kendall's book before and, and that made your own list – We would just love to hear that. I mean, just some encouraging stories. And we would love to hear from you at president at lifeway.com. Send us an email and tell us how this episode in particular ministered to you. One of the best illustrations I heard on forgiveness years ago is comparing hurts to barnacles on the underside of a boat. That as a boat is in the water, the longer it's in the water, it collects these crustaceans that are uh, just weigh a little bit of weight. But over time, the longer it's in the water, it collects more and more barnacles. And so what has to happen is the engine works just as hard, but it only goes half the speed. And when it comes to storing up hurts and wounds and angry things from the past, if we don't release those, we have to work twice as hard to do the same level of work that we were once doing. And so what what RT says today is if it's only for selfish reasons— We have to release people from their past so that we can move forward with our lives. Well, he also talked, and I've not heard about this, about burnout coming from um, resentment and stored up bitterness. I was surprised when he said that, Mm -hmm. that in his estimation, most burnout is related to an unforgiving spirit. So I think you're going to be challenged today. Uh, Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. We had you on the show because we have been reading a book that you wrote called Total Forgiveness. 
and it was recommended by a pastor friend who said, this book is going to wreck you. It's going to make you think long and hard about your relationships and how much bitterness stores up easily in your heart. So can you just tell a little bit of the story about why this book is so important to you and how it began? Well, I was 25 years in London. As Charles Dickens put it, the best of times, the worst of times. And while there, I went through what was, at the time, the darkest hour I've ever, ever known. What happened was unfair, was wrong. I was angry. I was bitter. I think, how could this happen to me? We had intended to live in America. We agreed to stay in England. Those 25 years, they were not easy. Not just following a great man, but other things. And uh, I can't give the details. Nobody knows. In heaven, you can find out. But an old friend from Romania, his name is Joseph Ton, spelt T-O-N, pronounced T-S-O-N. And because he's from Romania, and I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I told Joseph Ton exactly what happened, who it was, what it was, fully expecting him to put his arm around me and say, R.T., you, you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. I think that's what I wanted. Sure. He looked at me. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, they would be my finest hour. Joseph said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. And then I said, Joseph, I just remembered. There's more. I haven't <laughs> told you everything. And he interrupted me. I'll try to put on his accent. R.T., you must totally forgive them. <laughs> For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. Hmm. He said, you can, and you must. Hmm. Ben, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It's probably the hardest thing anybody ever has to do because it goes right against nature. The most natural thing in the world when you've been maligned, mistreated, lied about, falsely accused, you want the world to know and you want to get the word out. But total forgiveness means you let them off the hook you kiss vindication goodbye, and you pray for them. And by praying for them, you don't just say, well, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to you because you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> no, Jesus didn't mean that. He said, bless them. And 
one must come to the place. It doesn't happen in five minutes. In my case, it didn't. Where you pray for them and mean them. You You actually want God to bless them. And I can tell you, at first it's hard. Eventually it becomes selfish. Because the blessing you get, no one told me what a blessing this would be. It set me free. And it brought me back to a relationship with God that I forgot about. I could go way back and tell you, I knew a relationship with God. It was intimate. It was real. But you see, you forget. And then all of a sudden, it's like where you've not uh, been to a place for a long time, and you're back there. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. (laughs) forgot about that. And so when you're wanting a relationship with God, suddenly he becomes real, and you think, well, this is good. This is good. We were driving here today talking about this episode, and I told Lindley, I said, I'm really struggling with this book because I can pray, Lord, soften my heart toward my enemy. God, change my attitude toward my enemy. But when you say that I have to pray that my enemy would have a life of blessing, that is very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. That is the part that to me is, goes against the human nature the most. This will help you, what I'm getting ready to tell you. What I'm about to describe was after the big event that I've just talked about because I had a new challenge. One Sunday morning at Westminster Chapel, I'm leading the worship. That's the way they did in those days. And we're singing the great English hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. And lo and behold, on the fourth row from the back, a woman comes in and sits there And I thought, what is she doing here? That woman has done incalculable emotional damage to one of our children. Mm. And I lost it. I had to mouth the words. And I'm having to put on in front of everybody singing. And then I had to read the scripture. Then another hymn. And then the pastoral prayer in those days... (laughs) You prayed eight or nine minutes. I don't know if anybody does that now, but we did it then. Lloyd-Jones did it. I did it. I don't know how I got through it. All I could do is think about that woman who's hurt one of our children. What saved me was offering time. And when the chief deacon comes up and welcomes the visitors, makes the announcements, receives the morning offering, and I sit next to the pulpit, and I've got about five minutes. Now, I'll leave it to you whether you want to believe this, but I'm telling you, was while I sat there, the Holy Spirit entered into a conversation with me. This has never happened before or since, but it happened then. And I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. R.T., You want to see revival in Westminster Chapel, is that right? Yes, Lord. Good. How much do you want to see revival? (laughs) A lot. Which would you rather have, revival or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? 
I thought and thought. Revival. Good. Pray for that woman. I said, I pray for that woman. He said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. He said, do you mean that? Yup. He says, well, then what if I actually take your prayer seriously and I bless her? I said, Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> but that's the point. And I promise you, Ben Lindley, I couldn't have preached that day if I had not started to say, Lord, bless her. It was killing me because I knew God was going to bless her. And guess what? He did. That woman thrives today in London, whether I can resist going up to her in heaven one day and saying, I know why God blessed you, I don't know. <laughs> but here's the thing. Immediately after that, I began to get more insight into Scripture than I can possibly describe. I began to get ideas for sermons, for books before long Publishers were coming up and queuing up, begging for a book. In a day when you can't get a book published, they were begging for a book. I had, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. There was others. I could not begin to take in the thoughts. <laughs> I thought, this is working. I actually got an enemy's prayer list. Five are on it. I pray for them every day. It's selfish. Because even to this day, I mean, I've, I've, I'm in the middle of two books right now. I can't write them fast enough. At the beginning, when we began, you said, I will not say a word about this, a detail about it. And I just respect that so much because I think in this day and age, and I personally can have a justice bent. And so I'll, I can let myself like leak little things as to how somebody hurt me. And I just love the challenge to say, I just, I won't say anything about it. That's tough. And, you know, we, we want to get little digs in. And somebody told my kids that she helped me kind of raise my kids. And she said, when you take a little dig, you lose a little ground. And I, but I want to so badly. And so I'm challenged by even how you just said, it's off the table. It will not be discussed. But I'll tell you, I got it from the story of Joseph. You see, Joseph forgave his brothers. And the first rule first principle that you have totally forgiven is that you tell nobody what they did. Mm -hmm. It's between you and God forever. Now, there are two exceptions. Uh, I had a lady come into the vestry and said they found my rapist, mm -hmm. and uh, they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, you must. Oh, Dr. Kendall, you've taught me to forgive. I said, well, I believe you, and that's wonderful. But this is not personal now. You've forgiven him. Uh, a crime must be reported. That's different. Yeah. And you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. I told Joseph Tone. And um, actually, I didn't tell everything to him. In heaven, 
If God wants to reveal it, he can, but not till then. Do you think that the reason or one of the reasons why churches are not seeing revival today is that there's so much bitterness or unforgiveness in, in the room? Agree 100%. It's the greatest need of the church today. And people don't realize that they're cheating themselves by holding a grudge and bitterness. It's not only not even good for your health, but you, you rob yourself of blessing and uh, how real God can be. He wants to be intimate. He wants to get to know you. He wants you to get to know him. But this is the thing. And by the way, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I think it's verse 11. It's not even in the book. I discovered it after I published the book. Paul said, I forgive lest Satan take advantage of us. In other words, when you don't forgive, you give the devil an entry point. And the devil is looking for things in our lives where he can move in and uh, bring us into greater bondage. So a good reason to forgive is lest Satan take advantage of you. Yeah. That story of the woman coming into the church and him being unable to forgive her makes a lot of sense because when people hurt our kids, it's doubly hard to forgive them. Well, and that's been a theme throughout all of our Glasshouse guests. Um, we can almost take anything, but when you start to hurt our, our children, it's very painful, like yeah. doubly painful. Do you remember the story with Noe Garcia and his wife, um, Clancy, Clancy. Yeah. when they were talking about this guy that came into the gym and chewed out their boy in dodgeball mm-hmm. and how hard it was for them to let that go. In the ministry, people have say all kinds of things to our kids, mm-hmm. and those are often the people the hardest to forgive. So RT's words about totally forgiving people who have hurt us and our family is a daunting challenge, but one that we must undertake if we're going to stay healthy in the ministry. Genesis chapter 45. Uh, Joseph had been maligned. Actually, uh, he'd been a naughty boy, 17-year-old, arrogant teenager, tattletailed on his brothers. and uh, Then he had these prophetic dreams, and he told his brothers, one day you all will bow down to me. <laughs> it wasn't a very smart thing to do. Uh, but... It was 22 years before those dreams were fulfilled. And um, so years later, he's now prime minister of Egypt. He's learned Egyptian, and he's speaking through an interpreter. When these uh, brothers come to Egypt to buy food, he knows who they are. They don't know who he is. And so uh, he's being challenged He always thought that God gave him the dreams so that one day he could look at those brothers and say, gotcha, and throw the book at them, which he could have done. He was second only to the Pharaoh. He could have done away with those men. But by the time the dreams were fulfilled, 
He was a changed man. And he was broken. And when they show up, instead of pointing the finger and saying, gotcha, he starts to cry. He weeps. And then he says, everybody out of the room. He, they don't know why. They don't know who he is. Why did he make everybody leave the room? It's because he's going to persuade them to come and live in Egypt. He knows that if the word got out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those boys, those men, those brothers. He wanted everybody to love them. So behind closed doors, he says to them, not needing the interpreter, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. And they're scared to death. The reason he made everybody leave is to make sure nobody in Egypt would ever find out. Hmm. And the secret of total forgiveness, principle number one, there are actually five. Principle number one, nobody will ever know. Uh, you probably refer to the old spiritual, comes out of the deep south. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows but Jesus. That's the way Jesus wants it. He wants to be the only one that knows. The trouble is, we tell this person, that person, that person, and a hundred others, and then tell Jesus. It doesn't bless him. And then post it on social media so that there's thousands of people that know about it. Yeah. And we feel vindicated in that moment. Yeah. So it's, this is the first principle, and the hardest. You tell nobody. Principle number Principle number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. Hmm. You see, these men are terrified. This is Joseph. Never thought we'd see him again. And they're terrified. And he knows that. He says, come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. They couldn't take it in. You see, when we haven't forgiven a person, we want them to be nervous around us. Hmm. Uh, I say that these principles could save any marriage. Any marriage could be healed by sundown today hmm. if both would stop pointing the finger and keep the other just a little bit nervous. Uh, one will say to the other, I will remember that. And we do. We, sh we throw it up. When we refuse to point the finger and quit blaming the other, and don't let them be nervous. Principle number three is when we're willing for nobody to know how hurt we are. You see, these men, brothers of Joseph, are very nervous. And he says, don't be angry with yourselves uh, because, you know, this is something God did. And uh, he wanted to put them at ease. What gets our goat, Ben, is that the person who's hurt us doesn't know how hurt we are. <laughs> and we can't bear the thought that they don't know that we're hurt. And this is part of the price you pay. You can never tell them. Uh, for example, the people I have prayed for, they have no idea. They have no idea. I pray for people that have wanted to destroy me. I don't go up to them and say, I pray for you every day. 
No, no, no. They never will know. But the blessing is real. And you can't uh, say, well, I forgive you for what you did. They're going to say, for what? Because I promise you, nine out of ten that we ever have to forgive, you could put them under a lie detector, and they don't think they've done anything wrong at all. The people that have hurt us most, they can't imagine why would we be hurt. The person I had to forgive, and it was the family, they wouldn't have thought of anything wrong, anything wrong at all. Hmm. So you don't go up to them and say, I forgive you for what you've done. They'll say, for what? Well, you know. Well, no, I don't know. Well, you should. You, you see, that won't work. So this is, it's, it's painful. It's, it's the greatest challenge hmm. I can think of. And uh, so, and then that's principle number three. And by the way, <laughs> Don't be surprised if the people you have to forgive are close to you, highly respected, famous, godly. Do you know the poem, Living with the Saints Above? Oh, that will be glory. Living with the Saints Below? Well, that's another story. <laughs> Principle number four, you let them save face. Now, that's an oriental expression, but a man from Korea told me it comes from Aristotle. Whatever. That's when you cover for them. When you, uh, in Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he's got a section on let the other person save face. You cover for them. You act like you don't even know what they did. Let them save face. Instead of rubbing their noses in it, you know, set them free. See, these brothers, when they realize they're talking to Joseph, who they were going to kill, they can't believe their luck that the man that is forgiving them. And it's for real. It's, it's not a joke. He's not putting on. And let him say face. He says, look, look, look. This shouldn't surprise you because it was predestined. God told our grandfather Abraham that his seed would be coming up out of Egypt. So one had to get here first. And so God said, uh, Joseph, you go first. I just got here first. It's Joseph's way of saying, you would have done what I did. I would have done what you did. He's not blaming them. God meant it for good. It wasn't you who sent me here. God did it. <laughs> They're looking at each other. He said, we didn't do it. God did it. That's, that's, that's Joseph. Proof number five, you protect them from their darkest secret. Now, what was their darkest secret? Well, when they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, they yanked that coat of many colors off his back, dipped it in blood, and uh, lay it before old Jacob, who took the bait, and said, A wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. And the brothers thought they got away with it. 
They're afraid now. They're saying to themselves, well, Joseph is forgiven, but he's forgiving us, but he's going to make us go back to Canaan and tell our father what happened. They would rather die than have to tell their dad what they did. Joseph won't let them. This is the beauty. You could read the whole story. He writes the script word for word. He won't let them tell old Jacob what they did. And chances are you know somebody that you could destroy by some secret you know. Assure that person that no one will ever know. Set them free. You see, God knows everything about all of us. We've all got skeletons in the cupboard. <laughs> God's not anxious to yank the skeleton out to tell the world. And so just assure that person no one will ever know. Principle number six, it's a life sentence. What's that? Promise to pray for them. You pray for them. And even though what I have described implicitly, that happened many years ago, do you know that some people are still alive? That I have to, I still have to pray for them every day. But after all these years, yep. But this is where your relationship with God is improved and blessed and the sense of his presence and the awareness. And, uh, you know, I'm a Bible teacher. That's what I am. I live for insight. If I don't have insight, I'm done. I'm finished. But do you know what? I get insight every two or three days. It's, it works. And, uh, I, and if I stop praying for them or stop telling what happened or start telling what happened, any sense of the presence of God in my writing and preaching would be gone. So it's not that I'm such a great, humble man. I'm doing it selfishly. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It, it's in my interest. That's good. And then the final principle is you bless them. It's a life sentence. You do it as long as you live. And you, when you pray for them, you actually want God to bless them. And I, it, it doesn't happen quickly, I, it, but it, 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 come, it will happen. And I would say to anybody, you are cheating yourself if you don't pray for them and bless them. But you can never tell them that you pray for them, mm. ever. That's really good. First. Well, I, I do have a question. So in churches, so often we talk about forgiveness as in how God forgave us. But I feel like we don't talk as much about person-to-person -person forgiveness like you talk about in your book. Is that simply just because it's so difficult? I mean, we just find it so difficult to pr forgive people? Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where it is. You, you show you've really experienced his forgiveness when you passed it on. Right. And... When you start pointing the finger at them and God says, whoa, I forgave you. How dare you to say that to that person? Mm -hmm. I know what I've forgiven you of. And now how dare you 
uh, make that person feel guilty. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of pastors I know who struggle with bitterness. They signed up for ministry thinking they would get to serve God's flock, and they had wild visions and imaginations for their ministries, only to find that people can be very hurtful. And so I can only imagine there are pastors and pastors' wives out there listening to this episode and saying, I just don't know that I can. I don't know that I can forgive these people for what they've done to us. We didn't sign up for this. So if you had a counseling session with them, like what would you say to them to help get them out of the rut of that thinking? Well, the one thing is to remember that the devil doesn't want you to forgive. And when you hold a grudge and refuse to forgive, the devil is happy. Don't give the devil that pleasure. Hmm. Uh, But not only that, as I say, the benefit to you, the sense of God's presence, uh, the greatest insight that I think I've had in my ministry, one of the two or three greatest insights, is the principle of what happens when you grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, Ephesians 4 verse 30 Paul says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is in every Christian, but he may be grieved. The word uh, comes from grieve is a translation of a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. You say, you can hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings? I'm going to tell you something. Surprising as this may be, the third person of the Trinity is a very, very sensitive person. And you say, well, what hurts his feelings? When we are angry, when we are bitter, when we speak evil of other people, we may not feel a thing. We may not feel a thing. But we something happens to our sense of his presence. Hmm. Call it anointing, whatever word you want to use. But that diminishes. And... Uh, so when the Holy Spirit is in us ungrieved, we get insight. Uh, we sense his presence. Uh, we are used with other people, and God will use us in a way we never dreamed possible. It's when the Holy Spirit is ungrieved. Uh, when we speak of a, another person as being very sensitive and say, you have to watch what you say around that person, it's not a compliment. But like it or not, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. Mm. He, he, he can get grieved. And that's why Paul says, don't grieve him. You're not going to lose your salvation, but the sense of his presence is forfeited. So it goes right on. So when Paul says, let all bitterness, wrath, evil speaking, and he adds, fully forgiving, those as God in Christ has forgiven you, Ephesians 4 verse 32. So total forgiveness and maintaining the Holy Spirit ungrieved go together. And this is what gives you insight. For people that live for insight, this is the way forward, and there's no shortcuts. Can we talk about the marriage relationship and ministry? You mentioned a moment ago um, how hard it is to forgive one another in our in marriage. And we were having a conversation today about we've gotten into this place in our marriage, and we're not proud of it. But when we get into arguments or debates, uh, we pull up history. We like to pull something in from the past. And recently, Lindley said to me, could, could we please just talk about this incident that we're dealing with and not pull in 
all of this history that is all the baggage of the past. It's very difficult in relationships to not bring up the past and uh, multiply the pain of the present in doing so. Can you speak to that? I, I know you've told a story before of a moment when you were called to preach and you had done something to Louise that was terrible and you felt grieved. Well, when I was at Westminster Chapel, I started my Sunday morning sermon preparation on Monday morning. And I would, you know, Westminster Chapel was a preacher's dream, a pastor's nightmare. It's a hard church to pastor, but they didn't want me out visiting. That was the good news. It just, I preached because I prepared. And every day I would prepare. But there was one time, it only happened once in 25 years, when I just couldn't get around to preparing. I was out preaching everywhere. And it was now Saturday morning. Oh, dear. I don't have a thing ready for tomorrow. And this is, this is scary because Westminster Chapel is a world pulpit. Every word you say is going to go all over the world. And it was 9 o'clock Saturday morning. And I said, Lord, please help me today. Let there be no interruptions, no phone calls, no knocks at the door. Please. <laughs> Louise and I got into an argument right after that, right <laughs> after that. I mean, as we would say in Kentucky, it was a dandy. <laughs> she was horrible. She was horrible. I slammed the door. I went to my office, opened my Bible, got out a blank sheet of paper, a pen, and I started to say, Lord, give me a sermon. Help me. Help me. Deal with that woman. I mean, I was mad. I was angry. Two hours later, 11 o'clock, blank sheet of paper. Noon, blank sheet of paper. One o'clock, oh, please, Lord. Two o'clock, now I was in a state. Lord, please, you know that what I say tomorrow is, is going to go all over the world. You've got to help me. Three o'clock, four o'clock, I was waiting for her to knock on the door and apologize. At four o'clock, I went into the kitchen. I can see her now standing by the refrigerator, and she was crying. I said, honey, I'm sorry. It was all my fault, and I'm so sorry. Well, she said, it's not all your fault. It's partly my fault. I said, no, it's all my fault, and I'm so sorry. We kissed, we hugged. I promise you, Ben, Lindley, I went back to the same desk, same Bible, same blank sheet of paper. In 45 minutes, I had everything I needed for that sermon, everything. I couldn't write the thoughts down fast enough. They just poured in. Now, that is a true story. Believe me, it affects your ministry if, if you need the Holy Spirit. And I would think if you're not a minister, you know, if you're having trouble with anybody. It's going to affect your job. It's going to affect your concentration, to sleep at night. And uh, But I can tell you, uh, I never forgot that. And so if I want to prepare a sermon, 
and get a good job done, I've got to first of all make sure Louise and I are speaking. I understand. It's what's it's it's kept me on the straight and narrows, not because I'm godly. I, mean, so I want this, to get a good sermon. This past Sunday, I was guest preaching at a church, and on Tuesday morning, I believe it was, I said something really unkind to Lindley. I mean, I won't even repeat it. I was just in a really bad place and said some very mean things to her, and and had a hard time repenting. And I was so convinced in my own head that she had pushed me to say those things or that she somehow deserved what I had to say, which was completely wrong and sinful. And I told her, I was like, the hardest thing for a pastor, I think, is to get into a pulpit and preach to people when he knows he's not right with his wife. And so we were able to work through it, and God's brought a lot of good conversation out of it. But I can I can tell you that Many men out there who are struggling in ministry, a lot of it is because they're not right with their wives, and they need help, and maybe they need counseling, but that relationship is so central to our ability to function in a spiritual role. You see, Ben, holding a grudge leads to burnout. Mm. I don't mean to be unfair, but I would not be surprised if it could be shown, if all the facts were out— People that experience burnout, they've got a problem with forgiveness every time, every time. Mm. And uh, it's not good for your health. Uh, It's not good for your mental state. And uh, there's so many fringe benefits of forgiveness. Even if you weren't a Christian, uh, there's organizations that help people to forgive, and they're not even using the Bible at all. Just so they can release the weight of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But how much more with being saved and wanting to honor the Holy Spirit should we forgive? It's the devil's lie to keep you holding a grudge and refusing to forgive. So here's the story. This topic is particularly painful for me today. Uh, This week was one of my worst performances as a husband. I had one of those days where I was just in a bad mood for no apparent reason. And Lindley spent all weekend painting my office for me. You were out of town. She decided to do this for me. And it took a lot more paint than we thought. There was wood involved and trim and... uh, 12-foot ceilings. You had bruises on your shins from being on ladders. And I came in and I saw it and just the perfectionist in me like saw imperfections on the walls. And I told her like, this actually came out of my mouth. I'm horrified to say this publicly. I said, it doesn't look good. And it crushed her. I mean, you cried for 24 hours straight. Well, I just had done it to surprise you and I, you knew the color. So it wasn't like. That was not a surprise. It wasn't, you know, like a Trading Spaces, you know, old TLC show where you left and came back. And so when you said, but Lindley, like, it just doesn't look good. Like, you didn't do a good job. It's streaky and splotchy. I was like, oh, my gosh. Devastated. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it because I tried so hard to please you. Well, then that turned into a big blow up about 50 other things that were going on in our marriage that all got combined into one big giant issue and then there, then there was that moment where I knew I was wrong, but I could not get myself to say I'm sorry. I just couldn't get there. 
And this whole story began to be told in my own mind of like, man, what is wrong with you? Why can you not like just come clean about this? Why are you so mean to her? Why do we often hurt the people we love the most in such a way? And so it was a whole week of me trying to forgive myself, also asking for your forgiveness. And through it all, we made it through. (laughs) And I had to preach on Sunday, which was very difficult given the week. But forgiveness is something that I think is probably the most important ingredient in marriage, is choosing to put things behind us and not hold each other to our worst moments. And continuing to what what I had said last week and what you mentioned, RT, is that it comes to a place after 21 years of marriage where there is so much baggage that it can just be brought up forever. And I just said, I'm just tired of this. Like, can we just talk about whatever incident we are talking about in the moment and move forward and not drag up? Because, I mean, I have so many things I've said to you that were hurtful and mean, too. I mean, you're not the only one who's done that in this marriage. And so... We can keep tearing each other down or we can just talk about an isolated incident, move forward and continue to try to forgive. I heard a guy say once that whenever my wife and I get into an argument, she gets historical instead of hysterical. He said historical. (laughs) She starts pulling in everything from the past. And in that moment, I did that. Mm -hmm. And how damaging it is to a relationship when you suddenly remember all the wrongs. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. It's true in marriage, it's true in pastoral ministry, it's true in all relationships. Well, I will say this, but even in that moment, sometimes what we do is say, well, well, tell me when, tell me what you're talking about. And I told him, like, I'm so tired of, I feel like I actually need to keep a journal of times I've done something good or times I've done something wrong so that when we fight again, I can say, well, here's my record of wrongs, even though the Bible says keep no record of wrongs. And so... It's just hard when you— I'm so glad you asked. On January 21st, you said this at 4 o'clock. Right. Which would be bad. But if you don't, sometimes when you get into this fight, it's kind of like, what are you talking about? You don't have proof of that kind of thing. Well, I will say this. I do thank you for forgiving me. We, We hear the term forgive and forget. What do you feel about that saying? Well, first of all, it's impossible to forget. Mm. So don't let anybody tell you that you can forgive and forget. I don't think you can. But what you can do is forgive and refuse ever to bring it up again. It's an act of the will. Mm. That is so important. Don't expect the Holy Spirit to knock you down. It's not going to be like that. You make a decision. It's a choice. And you live with it. And once they, uh, the people I've had to forgive, I could tell you, literally, I think about what they've done all the time. I I can't forget it. I mean, I've had some horrible things done, horrible. And if I told you, you would agree. If I wanted to, I could convince the world. What good does it do when the bitterness is still there? And... So you cannot forget and forget, in my opinion. Maybe Mm. some have done that. I haven't. Mm. It's a continual process. And also, although this happened at Westminster Chapel years and years and years ago, I still have to forgive them. The Glass House is a production of Lifeway. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Sound engineering by Dale Sandberg. Original music by Robert Elkins, photography by Rebecca McVeigh, 
and artwork by Heather Berzinski. We are your hosts, Ben and Lindley Mandrell. Thanks for listening.